Hello, and welcome to The Journey's podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out The Journey live at one of our two Metro New York locations, including Queens and Manhattan. Visit journeyqueens.com for service times and directions. Now let's join Pastor of The Journey Queens, Mike Cooper, as he teaches live. Well, good morning and welcome once again to The Journey. My name is Mike, the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad that you're with us today. Uh, Today we're in the middle of a teaching series called Don't Believe It. And the whole premise of this series is we want to look at some Christian sayings that sound true, they feel true, sometimes we want them to be true, but if we were to actually look them up in the Bible to find where they are, we would not find them because it is not there. And so two weeks ago, we kicked off this series and we talked about a common belief that so many people have, this idea that God wants me to be happy. In other words, God is this vending machine that if I pray, if I give a dollar, God will then give me all my needs. And we said that's not true, that God doesn't necessarily want us happy, that God wants us to be blessed when we find our our lives in root of his word. Uh, Then last week, we talked about the idea of our finances and how it it doesn't matter if we're rich, doesn't matter if we're poor. All that matters is that God tells us to be generous with what he's given to us. And uh, two weeks ago, or, or I mean last week, we talked about this concept of the tithe. That tithe is not a tip, not like, hey, I like the worship today, pastor wasn't that funny, so I'm going to withhold. But no, a tithe is something that is deeper, it's biblical, and it's rooted in God's Word. And today what we're going to do is we're going to go a little bit deeper than we normally do on Sunday services But we're going to talk about a lie that so many of us believe, or or so many people tend to believe, which is this lie called, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Now, a comedian back in the day, he used to popularize this phrase by saying, the devil made me do it. And every time he did something bad, he would just say, it was the devil's fault, it wasn't my fault. But it's amazing how many of us genuinely believe that sometimes the devil actually makes us do things. You know, for example, you might say, you know, Pastor McGay, I messed up. I made a mistake. But you know what? I I had bad Chinese food the night before. Do you think the devil poisoned my Chinese food? The devil poisoned my Chinese food, which made me off. And because I had bad Chinese food from a place I normally don't order, that's why I made that mistake. Or maybe you might say, you know, well, man, Pastor Mike, the, the devil's trying to get me down. I got into a car accident on my way at church. The devil's really trying to get with me. Forget the fact that you were texting while you're driving and you ran a red light and you hit a cop car, but the devil made you do it. Or maybe you say, you know, Pastor Mike, you know, man, I've already started school, I've started college, and I'm already flunking. The devil, he's keeping me from my full potential. Yeah, or Netflix might be, right? Or, Or sleeping in and not going to any of your classes, right? What I've learned is so many people tend to blame the devil for bad decisions that they just don't take responsibility for. And I believe sometimes the devil gets a bad rap. And I see this all the time where people think the devil is in everything. You know, I walked into a a, a dark alley, thought I heard a whisper, the devil is there, right? Or, you know, uh, the sun's not out today, it's cloudy, the E-train was late, the devil devil stopped the E-train personally. And a lot of times I think sometimes we get over-mystical And we blame the devil for just common life problems or common mistakes that we make. 
And I think part of the reason why we do this, why we cast a lot of blame on the devil for things that we don't fully understand, is because of how culture has portrayed the devil to be. And so over this past week, I began to think, how does pop culture tend to portray the devil? And for many of us, growing up, our first image, our first thought of the devil looked a little bit like this. Uh, he was a guy that wore a giant red suit. It was spandex, of course. And he had two horns, because every devil has two horns, a pitchfork, a tail. I don't know why the devil always has a tail. And it was this little figure that always sat on our shoulder trying to get us to do bad things. Maybe as a kid it was to pinch our sister, but now it's other things. Jump the subway turnstile without scanning your metro card or whatever. The devil tries to tell you all these bad things. And if you could just flick the devil off and listen to the angel that's on your other shoulder, life would be okay. But then also in the 80s and the 90s, the devil was almost made as this funny guy, this comedic thing. In fact, uh, in SNL back in the day, we remember the church lady, right? Satan is everything and bad. And if you play a Beatles song backwards, it's going to say Satan, right? Or something weird like that. And, and so we would look at that and we would laugh over time. But then also in the 90s and the 2000s, now there's these images of the devil being this, this sexy, this cool person, this temptation that we all desire or image that you have of the devil, where, whether it's a guy with a pitchfork or church lady or whatnot. Understand, that there is this world right now that we know is the, the physical world, but also there is something deeper called the spiritual world. And understand that the forces of good are real, but also so are the forces of evilness in our everyday life as well. And no matter what culture might say, hell is not this party that we all want to attend. Hell is not this thing where it's going to be cool and it's going to be comfortable and all my boys are going to be there, everybody's going to be there. That, that is not what hell really is like. And understand the devil's number one goal for your life is to take you out when it comes to your faith. Now Jesus talked about this when he was here on earth. John chapter 10, verse 10 in your notes if you would grab them. And here's what Jesus talks about, the purpose of the devil and the purpose of God is like. In your notes it says, the devil's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Then Jesus says, my purpose is to give them, to give you a rich and satisfying life. Now, when we read this verse, we go right to the end part. Jesus, you're going to make me rich. That's not what he's saying. He's going to give me a satisfying life. That's what Jesus is all about. But we overlook the first part where Jesus says, the devil has a purpose for your life, and it's to steal, it's to kill, and it's to destroy. Now, the big question is, well, where did the devil come from? Where did this idea of Satan actually come from? Well, according to scriptures, Satan was actually an angel at one point that was in the kingdom of heaven. He had a name. His name was Lucifer, and he was actually the lead worshiper in heaven. Uh, scripture describes him as being this beautiful, this, this worshipful angel. And we read a little bit about this in Isaiah chapter 14. We read that Lucifer lets all the praise and all the glory actually get to his head, rather than the glory going to God. And so what we say often is that pride is the root of all sin, and we see this true in Lucifer's life. Pride got to him, and so he began to say these things like, I will. 
Now remember, Jesus' last words in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When he was praying and he was about to endure the cross, Jesus said, God, I don't want to do this, but thy will be done. Lucifer said the opposite. He didn't say thy will be done. He said, my will be done. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 14, we see Lucifer saying these words, I will, six different times. He says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned. I will uh, ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And so what happened was Satan's fall began with pride. And instead of being exalted, God cast him out of heaven down to the depths of the earth, which we know today as hell. And so what we can know about Satan is that he hates anything that is of God. That's why his purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. He hates your guts. He, what he's doing is he's planning, he's plotting, and he knows that God has a will for your life. God wants what's best for your life. And Satan says, if I could do whatever it takes to keep you off track of that will, keep you away from God's best, then I've succeeded. Now in life, we got to realize, again, there's a physical world, but there's also a spiritual world. And we are to engage in battle with the devil. But so many times, we don't engage battle with the devil. We engage battle with other people. For example, your battle right now is not against the government. Your battle right now is not against the Democrats or against the Republicans. Your battle right now is not against Hollywood or MTV. Your battle right now in life is not who makes a better chicken sandwich, Popeye's or Chick-fil-A, right? Although it's big right now. Your battle is not from your boss from hell. I've got a boss and he's just the worst. And No, that is not your battle. You see, your battle is with the devil who wants you to be away from God's will. And so the question is, how do we recognize when we're engaged in this battle? How do we recognize the tactics of the devil in our life? Well, thankfully, the Bible gives us a roadmap, gives us some examples on how do we know when we're getting off track of God's will for our life, and how do we know the devil is working in our life? Uh, I want to give you five examples here in your notes, and we're going to walk through these together. But the first tactic that the devil does, according to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, is he blinds the minds of unbelievers. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. Now, some of you are here today, and you're here, and you're sitting, but man, it's, it's hard to pay attention. You're like, man, I've got the most comfortable seat in the world. I want to recline, but it makes a weird noise, so I don't know if I want to recline. And you're sitting here, and you're hearing Pastor Mike talking, and you're like, man, after Pastor Mike is done, I got to go home. I got to take the trash out. Oh, man, I got to do laundry. We're out of milk. I got to go to Target and get some milk. I, I've got a lot to do next week. And, and immediately, your mind is wandering. And what hap what's happening right now is Satan is trying to blind your minds because Jesus says that when you discover the truth, the truth will set you free. And so if he could do whatever it takes to distract you, keep you from hearing the truth, keep you from discovering the truth, he's going to do just that. Now, maybe you're here today and you're here today, it's your first time, and you're like, man, I'm here because of my crazy neighbor. They won't stop inviting me. They're talking about this church in a movie theater. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've run out of excuses. So now I'm here just to get them off my back. And so you're listening. You're here today, but you're not really listening. You're just, I've got to get my neighbor off my back. Understand, that's what the devil does. He wants to keep you 
from hearing God's truth. So if he distracts you at any point, he, he's succeeded in that for your life. So that's not just all that the devil does. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. The second thing is he steals God's word from you. He steals God's word from you. Now, for many of us here in this room, we've had times in our life when we felt like God is so real. Like we pray a prayer, God answers it. We're like, whoa. We open up our Bible, and it feels like God handpicked that verse, that passage, just to speak to you. You go into church, and you hear the worship, and you're like, man, me and God are like this. We are tight. Everything is good. God is my homeboy. Awesome. I'm right there. Me and God, we're tight. Then the next day, you wake up, and you're like, where's God? What happened? Nah, maybe that was just weird. Maybe I was like over-emotional. Uh, I had glorious pizza. You never have glorious pizza on Sundays. Too much grease. I don't know. And so sometimes we do this where we're like, man, where, where was God? And sometimes the devil tries to get us to doubt God's word, doubt God's work in our life. That, that's why we often say never doubt in the dark what God spoke in the light, right? Because the devil will try to steal God's word from you. But that's not all. The third thing he tries to do is he sets traps to ensnare you. He does what it takes to set traps to ensnare you. Now, a few years ago, believe it or not, not in New York City, but when we lived in New Jersey, uh, we were about to go to sleep when we heard a little noise, a little walking, somebody eating our dog's food. But the weird thing was our dog was right in our laps. What is this? And what we found out was it was a rat. Now, rats, you don't want them in your house, right? Can we just agree? I know it's New York, but nobody wants a rat in your apartment. You got to do whatever it takes. So we set every trap possible. Broke my finger trying to set the trap because it closed on me, but we finally got the rat. Immediately, get it. Throw it out, right? And you think about it, the devil does the same with us. We are not rats. Okay, turn to your neighbor. You're not a rat. All right, don't, don't hear that. If you get anything else out of today, that's not what you heard. But they understand that the devil knows, and he's got certain tactics to set traps to keep us in our sin, to keep us in this spiral of guilt and condemnation. And how this works is if there's any point of vulnerability in your life, the devil uses that against us and uses that to get us to fall into our weakness. So maybe for you, your thought is, man, I got I to escape the party scene. You know, I, I've been drinking too much. I've been doing things that I shouldn't do. So I've got to escape the party scene. But you got an invitation for an end of summer barbecue. And you're like, all right, it doesn't hurt. But, you know, I, I know that I'm not going to do this anymore. And you show up and there's a keg right there. The devil does what he can to set traps. Uh, maybe for you, you're trying to purify your mind. And you're trying to say, you know, I'm going to purify my mind. I'm going to set my heart on things that are pure. And then Monday morning when you're waiting for the bus to come, the bus finally comes and it's got this giant sign that says Museum of Sex on it. You're like, all right, the devil's trying to trap me. Or maybe for you, you're, you're, you're trying to get out of debt. And you're like, all right, I want to honor God with my finances. I got to do whatever it takes to get out of debt. But every piece of mail that you get is a Labor Day sale. 25% off, and if you use Cole's cash, you will get more than you intended for, right? Sometimes the devil, he'll look at your weakness, and he'll try to trap you at the point of your weakness. The fourth thing the devil tries to do is he fights to stop you. He will fight, he will do whatever it takes to stop you from moving forward in God's plan for your life. Uh, maybe for you, 
you hear some good teaching by Dave Ramsey, and you're like, all right, man, we're going to get out of debt. We're going to set up a plan. We're going to cut up our credit cards, and everything's going to be good. And then you check your mail, and you've got a ticket for speeding. I'm never going to get out of debt. And immediately, you give up. Uh, maybe for you, you're like, man, God, I want God to bless my marriage. I want to have a great marriage. So we are going to pray together every night before we go to bed. And so you're like, all right, we set this goal. We're going to pray. And instead of praying, you get into the worst argument ever. And it becomes World War III in your marriage. And you're like, I am never praying again. Bad idea. We're not doing that anymore. You see, maybe for you, uh, you decide, you know, I'm going to share my faith with this person at work. You know, God's burdened me. I'm going to share my faith, share my story with this person. You show up Monday morning. Where are they? They got transferred to another company. You're like, man, God, what is, what is happening? Every time I try to move forward, I'm moving three steps backward. What it is is it's spiritual opposition, the devil doing what he can to stop you from moving forward in your walk with God. And then let's look at the fifth thing that the devil does. What does he do in our life? He plans to destroy you. He plans to destroy you. His goal is to keep you far away from God's will for your life. In fact, 1 Peter verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, it says that your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, a lion is not like a little cat, right? A lion is like big, it's ferocious, and it says he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. Remember, the devil hates anything that is of God. So what he wants to do is to keep you far away from God's best in your life. What does he want to do? He wants to devour your marriage. If he could keep you fighting as much as possible, keep you away from praying, keep you away from spiritual things, he will do whatever it takes. Uh, sometimes he wants to devour your testimony. You know, he wants to take you out with sin, disqualify you from sharing God's story in your life. Uh, he wants to devour your finances. The devil loves debt because the more you're in debt, the more you're in financial bondage, the more you're worried about money, you're arguing about money, and the less you can give to help others in need. The devil wants to devour. He wants to destroy your health. He loves sickness. He loves disease, and he loves pain. And ultimately, he wants to devour your relationship with God. Now, we're talking about some heavy stuff today, but understand, we have the victory. God has given us the keys and the tools and how do we overcome any tactic the devil gives us? And so if you open up your notes to the inside, Paul gives us this, this passage on how do we overcome our battle with the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18, here's what he says. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now, before we keep going forward here, Understand what Paul is saying. He says that when the day of evil comes, he doesn't say it might come. He doesn't say, uh, you know, on a bad day at a bad moment, it could happen here or only on Friday the 13th because we're all superstitious and that's when it happens. No, he says that this happens regularly. Day of evil, it happens. So it's something that we can guarantee. And so many of us, we try to avoid bad in our life. Anytime something bad happens, God isn't real. God's not there. And Paul here is saying, no, Things happen. It's life. There's ups and there's downs. But Paul gives us keys. He says, after you have done everything to stand, then he says, stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Circle those two words. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Then he says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. Now, what this passage tells us is that you are not alone in your struggles, in the fights that you're facing, in the battles that you're experiencing right now. You are not alone. And so many times, one of the greatest things we can believe is that we're all alone. No one understands. No one will believe what I'm going through. No one can help me. I know there's almost 8 billion people in the world today, but not one person can help me with what I'm facing today. You are not alone. You've got a church family here with you. You've got God on your side, and God has already given you the keys to victory. And what God tells us to do is to stand firm. He doesn't say fight. He doesn't say, you know, do your jujitsu or kickboxing classes, you know, tie bow. No, he just says stand firm. God will do the battle for you. And that leads to our key idea here. And this is what I want all of us to get in our spirits this morning. It's this, that we do not fight for victory, but we fight from victory. We do not fight for victory, but we fight from victory. In other words, Jesus has already won the battle. Our goal is not to fight for him. Our goal is to stand firm and let God do the victory, right? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You, dear, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Then underline this next phrase. It says, Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Even though Satan is powerful, God is greater. And what that means is no matter what temptation you're facing, no matter what battle you are in right now, no matter what sin or mistake you've made in your past, God is strong enough to handle that. Jesus already defeated Satan on the cross so we can understand that the power that resides in Christ resides in us. We don't need to live in fear, but we can live in victory. Now, how do we do that? How do we battle this darkness? Let me give you three quick things that we can do, three quick points on how do we win the battle against darkness. Number one, the first thing is we don't treat our enemy lightly. We don't treat our enemy lightly. Satan, again, he's very real. He's not a guy with a red suit that's spandex that barely fits, not a guy with two horns and a pitchfork. He's not a guy who rests on your shoulder trying to get you to eat that burger that you shouldn't eat, all right? Satan is very real, and we should not take him lightly. In fact, Jude talks about this, a small passage here. Uh, one of my favorite verses because it quotes my name in it, huh? But it says, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous occasion against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Underline that phrase, the Lord rebuke you. It says, even the archangel Michael, looks like me probably, right? That when he was battling against the devil, he wasn't trash-talking the devil. He wasn't saying, you're ugly, you're a loser, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you done, devil. No, no, Michael did not do that. Instead, he said, the battle is God's, the Lord is going to rebuke you. 
So we don't take our enemy lightly. The second thing we've got to realize, number two, is also that we don't flirt with darkness. Uh, We don't ever flirt with darkness. Now, I remember when I was about eight or nine years old, and uh, during summer vacation or summer break, my parents had to work, so they sent me to uh, almost like a nanny share program at that time. And so it was me and all these other kids, and one day, the kids decided, man, we're going to play a game. Well, what's the game? I'm in. I'm, I'm a competitive guy. What game are we playing? Uh, we're going to play a game called Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary? What in the world is Bloody Mary? Well, Bloody Mary is that you go into the bathroom, lock the door, lights out, you face the mirror, you spin three times, say, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, and then you look at the mirror, and Bloody Mary's going to appear. Do you want to play that game? Heck no, 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 okay, I'll play, right? And so I remember as a kid going in, I don't know what I'm saying, dear God, why is the door locked? What's happening, right? And then running, ah, I saw her, who, I don't know, it's my, my own reflection, I guess, right? And so, but you get this idea that so many times we live in a world today that, that loves this idea of evilness, this idea of flirting with darkness, you know? Uh, For example, if you're about to go on a date, don't buy a magic eight ball. Is she going to try again later? Oh, one more time. No, don't don't do that. Don't use the Ouija boards. What college should I go to? SUNY school. No, no, you know, don't use an Ouija board to try and figure out where you're trying to go for college. You know, tarot cards or psychics, Miss Cleo, she was a fraud, all right? So don't trust a psychic. You just don't know what's happening. And a lot of times uh, I get the questions too, well, Pastor what about the movies? You know, like, I love a good scare, right? Like the ring. The ring, the ring gave me nightmares for like 12 years, man. It was some scary stuff. When I watched The Sixth Sense and that little kid was like, I see dead people all the time. I was freaking out, man. I peed my pants at ninth grade, and that was not cool, right? And so, and then we got like all those Saw movies. There's like 28 versions of Saw. I don't even know what Saw is, but all right. And who knows what movie's playing right now after this? Lion King, I don't know. But, you know, it's so a lot of times we say, well, what about a good movie, a good good scare? Isn't it good? It's harmless. It's fun. And look, a movie's a movie, right? A movie's pure entertainment. And I'm, I'm not here to say for or against, but I'm, I'm here to just tell you, be cautious, right? We don't know who's creating these movies. We don't know their background. We don't know where they're from or what they believe in and stuff. And so my, my advice is always just be cautious because you don't know. If I were the devil, that's a scary thing to say, but if I were the devil, where would I try to go to influence a nation and impact the world It'd probably be Hollywood, right? And so just be cautious with what you engage in and engage with. Deuteronomy chapter 18, it warns us of this. It says, let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorceries or interprets omens or engages in witchcraft or casts spells or who is a medium or spiritist who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things, it says, is detestable to the Lord. So the Bible, it teaches us that we should not have anything to do with the forces of darkness. We don't mess around with seances. We don't consult the Long Island medium. Uh, We don't even look at the magic eight ball. Even we don't watch Teletubbies, all right? Okay, we can watch Teletubbies. But you get the idea, right? We don't mess around with darkness. So how do we engage, right? We don't take our enemies, or we don't treat our enemy lightly. We don't flirt with darkness. And number three, the third point here in our notes is we don't fight with our power but we fight with God's authority. 
We don't fight with our power, but we fight with God's authority. We never choose to fight on our power, but it's in God's authority alone. You see, there's a big difference between your power and God's power. My power on my best day, I could barely bench press the bar. God's power, he said, let there be light, and there was light. I tell my kids, go to bed, they don't even listen to me, right? So I would take God's power over my power any day. But we don't just rest in his power, we rest in his authority as well. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority, circle that word authority, he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Notice here, Jesus didn't just give them power, but he gave them the authority to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Uh, For example, let's just say that right after church, right after church, we're going to walk out in Queens Boulevard, and I'm a strong guy. I mean, people listen to me. So I'm going to walk in the middle of Queens Boulevard, and even though the light says green, I'm going to hold my hands up, and I'm going to say, stop. Chances are, you're going to hear next week that your pastor's in the hospital if he does that, right? Why? Because who is this guy? He's just a random crazy dude that's trying to stop traffic. Why? I have no authority to just go out there and stop traffic. However, if I go down Austin Street and get one of my buddies at the 112 precinct, and we walk out together, and he holds his hands out and says, stop, everybody is going to stop. Why? Because of the badge. Because he has the authority the power of state of New York and and the city of New York to stop people and where they're going. You see, when we do spiritual battle, the same thing is true. We don't just fight with our power, but we fight with the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. For, For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In his authority, by his power, we can have victory against the forces of darkness. So my question today is what battle are you facing right now? What personal spiritual battle are you facing today? Maybe for you it's anger. You know, you're trying not to be as angry, trying not to lash out at your kids more. You're trying not to yell at your coworkers. Uh, You're trying not to have road rage here in New York City. Uh, Maybe that's your issue. That's your battle that you're facing today. Uh, Maybe for you it's finances. You know, you really want to honor God with your money, but you know, every time you take a step forward, you take a step backwards, and every time you get that paycheck, it just goes right out the door to other things. Uh, maybe for you, it's your marriage. You're, you're trying to be intentional. Uh, you know you've got to be the, the spiritual leader in the home, but every time you, you try to start to lead your kids or to lead your family, you just feel like, man, I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm not going to be able to get the right words out. Uh, maybe for you, it's an addiction of some sort, this battle that you're facing. Maybe it's alcohol or pornography and you know on a surface level no one knows about the battle you're facing but in your mind it's it's been years now and you're wondering am i ever going to overcome maybe for you that battle is your faith you know you've been wrestling with this idea of is god real does does god really have a plan for my life is this whole thing actually true and something that i could believe in you see inside all of us if we're honest we all have this natural tendency to pull away from god's will and to follow our own plan, our own path. The Bible calls it a a sin nature, that we are all wired 
with evil inside of us. But see, God gives us the keys and the victory to overcome. Look at our memory verse here, James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Then he says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Circle that word, submit. You know, earlier we said, how do you win these battles? Well, you've got to stand firm. You don't need your jujitsu. You don't need nunchucks or I don't know what you need. You don't need that. All God asks you to do is stand firm and submit. Now, when we fight a war, submit is the thing you don't want to do, right? Like when you're in the middle of a battle, you don't want to wave that white flag because that means you lost. But the powerful thing about Scripture here is it says the key to victory is found through our personal submission to God. And to win the battle of life, it has nothing to do with how long you've been a follower of Jesus, has nothing to do with how many Bible translations you have, how many growth groups you've been in. Being strong spiritually has everything to do with your personal connection to God. Are you submitted to Him every day? Come close to God, and God will come close to you. And when I face these battles of life, do I stand firm or do I run away and fall? You see, some of us today, maybe we've let that connection with God wane. But today, all you got to do is submit, surrender your life before Him. And remember, we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. God already has given us the victory. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. So our goal is to submit and to stand firm. Let's take a moment and let's pray. God, we thank you for this time where we can look to your word. And God, as we talk about such a, a deep, such a, a heavy topic, I know that each one of us here is facing a battle of some sort in our life, whether it's a battle of temptation, a battle of uh, your will for our life, God. And I pray, God, that too many times we, we try to go at this with our own power, our own strength. Help us today to submit to you. As your word says that when we draw close to you, you in turn draw close to us. It's not about our will and our power, but God, we're inviting your will, your power into our own life, God. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So God, help us to fight from victory instead of for victory today. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.